good to see everyone here, and uh, it's, it's it's encouraging for people to come out and to try to serve God, and for us to work daily to to understand His Word and to try to live by His Word. And this, we're not the first generation that's had some challenges. We will not be the last. Well, we might be the last. I don't know when God's coming. But we have challenges in our society. In today's lesson, um, just recently was was sitting down and and uh, having a meal, and somebody walked in and. and uh, this couple was was uh, they were living together, and they spoke as if that was okay and that was common. And so that's why you're getting this lesson today, is because our society we're not recognizing sin. Um, we're not recognizing uh, God's teaching. And I say that because that's that's happened several times between some some uh, technical or or through through uh, text and other things and that I've seen of late in people's thoughts. And so I, I actually looked back through my lessons and I noticed that back in 2016 I preached a lesson similar to this. I had a number of things on to this. And I hope I'm going to get to the end because the purpose of this lesson is, number one, is to say, what does God say about this? And then how do we make it successful in the perspective of our relationships? And so going back to Genesis, the second chapter, and we, we discussed this the other day in the Bible class because it has reference back to 1 Timothy. But the first relationship that that was ordained and the first relationship we see is in 23, 24, and 25 of Genesis 2 and the man said this is now bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh she, she shall be called woman because she has taken out she was taken out of man for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. The point here is this is the institution of marriage. And this is referenced many times in the New Testament there. I want you to turn to Hebrews 13 verse 4. And this is basically just starting off with the notion today that but we're going to do a trial, live together before we get married. But Hebrews 13, verse 4, marriage is not to be held in honor among, marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. And we can go to other passages, and I'm not going to go there, to find what God says about fornicators and adulterers. And so this notion today that where we 
as a society that we have normalized this behavior. And we Christians, are we normalizing this behavior in our life and things around us? 1 Corinthians 7, 2, it says, But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. This is a very plain passage that we as men and women, we have desires. But these passages tell us that there is a way to address these desires. And here he says, because of immoralities, we're supposed to address these desires in the marriage relationship. Now I say this to say, are you reminding yourself as we work through life, as we go through life, what are we accepting as Christians? Are we accepting immoralities around us that we should not be accepting? Are we reminding ourselves this is sin, this is not God's way? Now I could spend the rest of the lesson giving um, other passages why this is, this is not where we should be and the wisdom of that but I'm not going to do that because I want to hit what God's laws are with marriage and then I want to talk a little bit at the end of what are we supposed to what, what is marriage and what are we supposed to be doing so the point is marriage is where sexual relations are supposed to occur not before that. Matthew 5, 31, 32, Sermon on the Mount, Christ is teaching here. And what it was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever, that everyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of unchastity makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is another thing our society has normalized. Is that we, if we don't like who we're with, we get to choose another. We get to move on. We do not have that lifelong commitment. This, this same passage, Jesus restates, but with more detail in Matthew 19. And if you turn to Matthew 19, um, there's some teaching here that also applies to the death. And the teaching is, is he answered and said, have you not read Matthew 19, starting in verse 4? So the Pharisees are, are testing our Lord, and they're he's being tested on marriage. And our Lord states in verse 4, and he answered and said, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Now, unfortunately, I've read that my whole entire life and never looked at that part of the passage. But that's part of the teaching we need to be doing today. Marriage is between a man and a woman. And said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. 
So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. So there's two or three things to unpack here as we are Christians. Is number one, we are supposed to leave the family unit that we're in. And we're supposed to go become another family unit. That is, that is, and, and to me, it's interesting to, to see that it's the man that leaves his father and mother. He is supposed to go make another unit, and they become one. I didn't pull the passage, but in Deuteronomy, it, it talks about in the Old Testament where whenever a couple got married, the man could not go off to war for a year. He stayed with his wife. And I think that's interesting that, that they'd be joined together and that in the Mosaical law that the man could not leave his wife for the first year. Think about the bonding that would go on and think about his attention was supposed to be towards his wife. Think about those things. And whenever I think about that, as I was studying for this lesson, uh, you know, the first year Sandra and I were married, I was very busy. And would I change that today? I would absolutely change that. I would, I would totally change that. That's one of the things that I regret in my life is how busy I was. Why? Well, we made it through 33 years, but did I do my job as a husband that first year from the perspective of us becoming one? And that and and we can we'll get into some more practical lessons maybe later on, but the point of becoming one, it takes time. You can't, you know, you can't do that being separate separated. It takes time to become one and to think with each other. So the two are to become one flesh. And uh, and Note there, no one is to separate this couple. Now, the Pharisees asked, they, they talked about Moses gave a certificate of divorce. And Christ answers that in verse 9. Uh, well, he answers um, in verse 8, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was has not been that way, this way. And so... Christ is taking us back like he did in Matthew 5 and it's taking us back to the beginning of time. And he says in verse 9, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another commits adultery. So, this passage here gives us one reason for separation. And it's for adultery. That is, and, and there's one other reason go to that in a minute, but the point is Christ is establishing some teaching here. This is a command. This is not a like to do. This is not. Now, part of this is whenever you marry is what are you going to do as a couple? What have you dedicated yourself to? And this is one of those passages that you need to be reviewing. And parents, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, how 
do we take the next generation and carry it? And why is our society no longer there? And it's because we've broken this marriage relationship. Now one of the things I want you to note in verse 10, and I think this is very important, the disciples said to him, if the relationship of man with his wife is like this, it is very better not to marry. Even in the first century when Christ was teaching this, it's flashing. This is going to be hard. This is not going to be easy. Well, I thought this was supposed to be beautiful. Well, it is whenever we both act the way we're supposed to act. But unfortunately, we humans are, are sinful beings. And we don't always dedicate ourselves to the Lord. So therefore, we don't get the result the Lord wants. But whenever we do dedicate ourselves to the Lord, we will get the result the Lord wants. But my whole point here is, is, is notice, even in the first century, this was seen as hard teaching. This is not anything different for us today. So the second reason the separation can occur is in Romans 7 and verse 2. Romans 7 verse 2. For the married woman is to be bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is freed from the law. So that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. So, two things break the marriage bond. Two things. Christ taught one, and Paul is, assuming Paul, in Romans, is teaching the second bond, is death. And so once death has come, the other party is released. And that is all I can see in the New Testament that I can see that breaks that bond. Especially whenever, whenever it says in Matthew 19, what God has put together, no man should separate. Now, are there examples of this in the New Testament? Is there any applications of this in the New Testament? of these passages being applied. And there is. In John 4, the Samaritan woman at the well, Christ addresses her. And number one, a Jew would not be asking water from a woman, a Samaritan woman. But Christ is here trying to teach. He's trying to grow. And he's, he's showing the gospel is for all. But what he does in that passage is he said, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty, nor come all. So I'm reading John 4, verse 15. Starting at 16. He was thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. Uh, so he had, he had said, Hey, if you knew who I was, you would ask for living water. And she said, Well, I want this living water. And Christ answered said, and said, Go call your husband and come here. And notice her response. This is a Samaritan woman. So remember the Samaritans were, were basically people that were intermarried 
Jews that were intermarried. That's why people from Judah didn't want to speak to him. And so Christ here is saying, the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said, you have answered. You have correctly said, I have no husband. In verse 18, he says, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman understood that she was in violation of God's law. But Christ confronted that. So this is an application that we see during Christ's time, Christ confronted. We also see John the Baptist doing the same thing in Matthew 14, 1-12. We'll read only verses 3 and 4. For when Herod had John arrested, Matthew 14, verse 3, For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip, for John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. So here's two applications in the New Testament of the applications where we read the commands. The point I wanted to make is our society today, we don't see that. We don't see neither one of these. And the Christian, and I'm going to quote Christian community, is no longer adhering to these. And how are we accepting things? And are we accepting things? So that's, that's where we are today in society. The question is, now how do we, so I want to spend the last part of this lesson, is how do we make marriages successful? Because we're pulled in many different ways as Christians. And like I said, I probably started our marriage off wrong. In the amount of time, and, and I know I did. I mean, I, I will tell you that the first year of our marriage, I was like, man, this is going to be a long marriage. Because I was building a solar car. And whenever I got through with class, I went and built a solar car. I didn't pay attention to my wife. And that's what I want to talk about the rest of this lesson is. If I had to do it again, that is one thing I would change in my life. And I said that earlier. Now, the other thing I want to address is. Go to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 13, verse 3. And this is a very important passage because number one is structure. We've got to get the structure right. But there's more in this verse, in my opinion, than structure. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of woman, and God is the head of Christ. Now, if you take this one passage and say, hey, here's the rank and file, this is authority, this is, this is how it goes, I think that passage is stating that. 
But I think there's a lot more here because what I want to address for the last few minutes we have together is if we're going to have successful marriages and we're going to have our children going into successful marriages, us fathers, us husbands need to be living up to this passage. Now, whenever I say living up to this passage, who's the head of man? It's Christ. Have we men made Christ our head? If my marriage is not doing well, have I checked clay? Have I made Christ my head? So, I'm going to, the rest of this, a lot of this lesson is going to be talking to the men of the congregation. And the reason I'm talking to you is because you are the head of your house. You start the tone of your marriage. You start the tone of your family. And we're going to end why this is so important. Because we see society today falling apart. If you have to go work in some of the social programs that we have, you see devastation in children's lives. So fathers, there's responsibility. So go into Ephesians, the fifth chapter. Ephesians, the fifth chapter, verse 33. This is a summation of the husband and wife relationship, but I just want to use the summation here. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. So men, are we loving our wives as ourselves? But also, we have other examples of where we're told that we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church. That's a tall order. Now, I ran across this, and I wish I had time to put it up on the projector, and one of these days I'm going to get the you know, plug in so I can flip this stuff up. But basically, if you, if you imagine a circle here, a cycle, and a husband should love his wife, and we're going to, under, we're going to talk a little bit more about what is that love. But whenever a husband loves his wife, then the wife will show respect. The husband shows more love, the wife will show more respect. And the two grow together. But whenever the husband, the leader of the family unit, is not showing love, what's the response of the wife? Not showing respect. Why is she not showing respect? Is the husband if the husband's not showing love, is the husband following Christ? And that's a hard are you evaluating yourself, husbands? Because you're the leader of your family. Are you loving your wife? 
so that your wife then will automatically show you respect. And to love your wife, you've got to be following God's commands. Do you see how that works? We like to pronounce the authority part of this. But if we want people to follow us, we want our families to follow us, we have to show love. So what is an example of biblical love in Romans, the fifth chapter? Turn there, Romans, the fifth chapter. Now, I wish I could stand before you today and tell you I'm a good example for y'all and y'all need to follow me. But I'm preaching you a lesson that I'm not telling you I followed. I'm preaching a lesson I hope out of God's word and I'm hoping I'm expressing what he would express. But this is a powerful, powerful verse to me whenever you think about Christ's love for the church. And if we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church, then this applies to us husbands. But God demonstrated his own love, Romans 5 verse 8. God, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do I wait until my wife has done A, B, and C? Now she deserves my love. So husbands, if we're having problems in our marriage, are we leading correctly? Are we loving our wives? Because here is the example of Christ. While we were still sinners, while we were not deserving of it, he loved us. And are you doing that for your wife? Now for everyone here, I hope you will have that conversation with your wife. I can assure you the conversation I'm going to have is there's a long list of where I haven't done that. But that's how we make successful families. That's how we make successful marriages is that we follow Christ's teaching and we follow his example of what he did for the church as husbands. That's not an easy order to do. It's not easy. Ephesians 5, it goes through there and it talks about husbands uh, love your wives as your own body. You can, we can go to other passages and uh, you know it speaks about nobody hates himself and nobody hurts their own flesh. And so we as husbands, we have to do that. So in conclusion here, turn to Colossians, the third chapter, verse 18. Colossians, the third chapter. <coughs> we have three verses here that gives us three commands. And I'm going to start off with the bottom command. And I, want, I hope I'm going to articulate to you why us following God's commandment is important to the next generation. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. 
Every one of us parents, we want our children to be obedient. Is that right? So now let's go up and see what the other two commands are. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Have you ever thought about the results we get from our children might be the results our example is setting in our marriage? Because, and if our children, where does our children learn about God? We learn about God in the family to begin with. My grandson right now cannot comprehend, he's three years old. Who is his God? He we're teaching him about God. We tell him about God. But can he comprehend God? Can he really have faith at age three? I don't think so. He sees his dad. His dad is the authority. So, husbands, are we loving our wives? Do our children see us loving our wives? I will tell you, in my family, my children saw me love my wife. They saw the opposite at times. Do my children see my wife respecting me? Because you see, if we want to have obedient children, our children, our wives need to see us husbands being obedient to Christ. And setting that example. And then they need to see us loving our wives, their mothers. And then they need to see their mother respecting. Because all those behaviors that I just described in the husband and wife relationship are the same attributes of an obedient child, right? So if we're going to have a generation of children that are faithful and that are obedient to God, we parents have to be mimicking God's rules in the husband and wife relationship. I don't know how to fix today's work. I don't know how. All I can tell you is I can preach the gospel. This is what God wants his people to do. This is what he said is going to make people happy. So the point is, here's God's laws. This is what man is doing today. And we Christians better be matching that up. Because for the young families here, it determines what your outcome is going to be. What are your children seeing? I'm glad to say I don't think you have to be perfect. I mean, that's articulated all the way through the New Testament. But you do have to be setting that example. You do have to be pointing 
to the Lord. And are we pointing to the Lord because it's important to us in our relationships that we do God's will because it affects the next generation. Because if we don't do that, what we're telling our children is do as I say, not as I do. And I'm going to tell you that doesn't work. Your children have to see that movement towards Christ. If there's anyone here that needs to obey the gospel, if there's anyone here that needs to come forward, we all sin, we all fall short. And we as a church, we're here to try to grow with each other. And the statements that's made today, I, I hope you realize I read passages because it's not my statements. It's Christ's statements. It's God's statements. And they're tough, as the first century church said. So we all fail at this, but we all got to be striving to get to heaven, following his commands. So if anybody needs to come forward, please come on this